Um, I washed my hair just for you. <laughs> Isn't it gorgeous? That's nice. Last night was the one night I didn't wash my hair just for you. I have become one of those people that washes their hair like once every... I mean, I can't remember the last time I washed my hair. Oh, really? Before today. So maybe like five days? I don't know. Wow. If I did that, my hair would just be like a knotted pile of grease. Oh, it was. (laughs) I just... (laughs) That's just motherhood. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I feel like some mothers just cut their hair really short and I just Mm. put it up in a bun and just, you know, put some dry shampoo in that shit. Which is also the reason why it was really, really... It looked really dirty. Like, as I looked down, it was brown in the shower. And I was like, oh, too many days. And then I realized, oh, my dry shampoo has, like, a little dye in it. Yeah, It's, it's probably a little exactly. bit of a like, little bit of dry shampoo, a little yeah, bit of dirt. Maybe. <laughs> a little bit of dirt. I mean, a little bit of dog hair. The hair going in the drain was, like, white. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's my white shepherd's hair. Whoops. Gross. <laughs> It's been two months and we're finally recording. We're back. Look at these two beautiful humans. Uh, I wasn't talking about you and me. I was talking about our artists for this week. (laughs) (laughs) And now you have to put that in. Okay. It's been two months. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So long. Also, just a quick. I take full um, responsibility for that. You know what? No, it's fine. You're a mom, you're painting murals, and you're making Denver way more beautiful, so it's fine. Everyone can just deal. (laughs) Okay. Oh, a little update. We have our Patreon up, finally. Woo! Patreon! It is up. If you used to enjoy this and are looking forward to enjoying it again and want to hear more artists more often... Go and support us. We have different tiers, and they're all art-related. So you could be a hobbyist, a BFA, an MFA, an art assistant, a... Suggest... Is one of them to suggest an artist? I'm making that up. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, it is? No, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. No, you can go and um, put in your... What's it called? Recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) Of who we should do. Yeah, which is really cool. You can ask us questions. I don't know if that's one of them either. <laughs> Danny was suggesting that we So we that know we who did the Patreon. <laughs> I was supposed to do the illustrations, and that's not done yet. So you can tell which parts were allotted to which person. <laughs> um, it's okay. They'll, they'll but truly, Danny was like, you should let people ask questions. And I was like, yeah. So if that's not yeah, one of the think- things, put it in there. I think one of them is. And we have some other exciting ideas coming up for the future that we're keeping under wraps. Mm-hmm. But super it's going to be super fun. You're so. super fun, super interesting. You can't wait. Super, super know, interesting. I already know that you super can't wait for it. So get Patreon it. Get on it on Patreon and put money there for us. That and the most important thing really is just tell people about us if you like listening just tell like five friends or post on one of your social media accounts for real that's huge because we don't really care about the money don't tell sponsors that but (laughs) i mean it would be nice we love you yeah (laughs) we love you native (laughs) 
But uh, really, we just do this because it's awesome and we love it. But but the money would mean that we would do it more often for sure. Mm-hmm. And make time for things. That but mostly, we just wanted people to listen and enjoy yep. it too. Get out, get and out it would there. mean so much. If people actually started listening. Mm-hmm. The 10 people we have, man, love you we guys. love you You're so much. Oh, and the 10 people we have, you should rate and review us because that helps us so much. Um, please don't be mean. I, I can't handle it. Just be nice to us. <laughs> I really can't. Um, yeah, so rate, review, subscribe, go on Patreon. I think it would be fun. It'd be so fun. Also, Danny said that I use my, literally the words from his mouth. <clears throat> you talk on your podcast like how you talked to me before you tried to break up with me that one time. <laughs> Which means, <laughs> for all those who don't know, I tried to break up with my then boyfriend. I had had him as a boyfriend like maybe a month or something. I tried to break up with him because I didn't know if I liked him as much as he liked me and I felt really bad and I was like trying to take care of his feelings. So I was like, let's just not... You know, sorry, I don't like yes, you that Yes, they've been much. together for like 15 years and married now. <laughs> That's not true. Seven and a half years. <laughs> but yeah, basically we are married. 15. And uh, so it ended up fine, obviously. But I tried to break up with him, basically. And then after that, I let my walls down. So what he's saying is, I talk to you. I talk on this podcast like I'm putting on a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are i know but he wants me to be more i don't know i feel like the more honest i get the more sc- scary it is for Lindsay. <laughs> she starts giving me scared looks and stops talking because <laughs> she doesn't want to piss anyone we off. start wading into treacherous waters mm-hmm. people get mad at anything that's, though that's why it's so yeah. scary and olive's one who speaks first and thinks later <laughs> for sure oh yeah which is something I love about her. I love her extreme qualities and her over-exaggerations. No, but when everyone's listening and judging us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. funny. So that's that. Um, he was like, you should make merch. He wants me to just put, he wants us to just put like a squiggly line on a t-shirt mm-hmm. for like a unibrow. For like a middle brow. <laughs> it's good, right? <laughs> he Can he be... Oh, in charge of our I think merch? he like wants to be involved. He basically said he'd help me with yeah. anything. And I was like, I will take you up on that when we have actual listeners. And my friend Rose who listens. Hi, Rose. I love you. She's one of my best friends since high school. Went to SF MoMA and saw the Clifford Still like wing or room or whatever. <laughs> and she took a bunch of pictures. Did she feels so much more yeah, informed. She took a bunch of pictures. She's like, it's Cliff. And she's like, he is in a room by himself. There's no other artist in here. <laughs> I'm like, I know, he's crazy. And she said she like informed her friend all about him. And I was so proud. That makes me so happy. We did it. I mean, like we did it for one person, which is great. Welcome to Middlebrow. Welcome to Middlebrow. This is my best friend, Lindsay Schultz, who I haven't talked to in so long. You're so beautiful. Look at you. The first thing I saw was her crystal blue eyes. And this is my beautiful, beautiful, super talented, super in demand, best friend forever for life and future wife, Olive Moya. This is Middlebrow, a mostly contemporary art podcast hosted by two completely average human artists. (laughs) We talk about art. We try to be super interesting. It's for artists and for... 
people who want to know about art, but are too intimidated. Oh, one of my other friends was trying to listen, I guess in the car, but she couldn't really keep listening because she didn't know what the work looked like. You guys have to follow Mm. us on Instagram. We post the photo, the images of the people's work the day before. So you know what they look like, you know, like some of the basic pieces that we talk about. I was listening to Art Talk with Lena Dunham the other day, and she was talking about an art piece, and I just Googled it (laughs) at a stop sign. So... Don't arrest Nothing's us. Nothing's going to stop me. <laughs> Not even a stop sign. Um, <laughs> this is one of those moments. <laughs> it actually exists. I always thought it was just Lindsay's <laughs> editing, but she actually just doesn't laugh at my jokes. <laughs> and just continues to just talk. She'll be like, big pause. And then, um, anyway. <laughs> so this episode is Christo and Jean-Claude. Ooh. And they're the best and the cutest. And they would describe themselves as environmental sculptors. Mm. Get this. They were born on the exact same day, June 13th, 1935. Whoa. Two Geminis. Right? Double Geminis. That's terrifying. I don't know what that means. Christo was born in Bulgaria. His father ran a fabric factory. Which is no wonder he uses a lot of fabric. And his mother was a secretary at the Academy of Fine Arts in Sofia. And Jean-Claude was born in Casablanca, Mm. Morocco, where her father was stationed. But apparently they were all an old French family. Seemed like an important fact in the documentary I watched. Um, She earned her... I looked this up right before baccalaureate looks like bachelorette in fancy writing (laughs) i don't know how you pronounce it letters i tried looking that up yeah it's a lot of c's and a's but i didn't get to look up pronunciation but that it is like a university entrance qualification so you, you need to have this before either like to graduate high school or before going to university it depends on the oh region She had a baccalaureate. That's like baklava. (laughs) And she had baklava. Yeah. (laughs) In Latin and philosophy in 1952. From the University of Tunis. Latin and philosophy? Neither of those things are helpful for anybody. Dead language. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) I don't think you heard it here first. I'm pretty sure everyone knows that Latin and philosophy are not necessary. I feel like anyone who does that is just trying so hard to be fancy. Well, no, I guess it does have. It's helpful because it comes. Our language comes from that. It's the root of all yeah. romance language. Fine. Yeah, Jean Claude, you're <laughs> off the hook. So says Olive. Christo studied at this academy, fine arts in Sofia. I'm assuming from '53 to '56, and then went to Prague until '57 when he left on a train by bribing a railway official, stowing away with several others who were transporting medicine and supplies to Austria. He settled in Vienna and then enrolled in the Vienna Academy of Fine Arts, which is a pretty exciting way to get anywhere. If you have a chance to stow away somewhere... Would you do that? Do it. No, I'm too much of a rule <laughs> As follower. you're like saying, if you got a chance to stow away, it's a great way yep. to travel. After one semester there, he traveled to Geneva and moved to Paris in 1958. But he had difficulty learning French, which totally get. French Wait, is a very he difficult French? language. 
No, his Jean-Claude's oh, family sorry. was old okay. French. Because he couldn't learn French, it contributed to his social isolation. I have social isolation just Just speaking the regular language that everyone speaks. Me too. Yeah. He was also struggling financially and began painting portraits for money. He likened this, like you, super extreme, to prostitution. (laughs) Hey, it is kind of like that. Uh, So he was so embarrassed he signed his family name. That's mean, throwing them under the bus. Yavachev? Job of the Hut, maybe? Um, That's what it looked like when I... So he signed the portraits, Yavachev, uh, while he signed his early works, Christo. That's fucked up. So after he moved to Paris, this is where he met Jean-Claude in October 1958. Wikipedia says 59, but I said I'd believe their official website yeah, over Wikipedia. Get it straight. Wikidrama. So apparently, I read this on Wikipedia. Initially, Christo was attracted to Jean-Claude's half-sister, Joyce. Jean-Claude was engaged to Philippe Plankton? Planchon? (laughs) Planchon. Shortly before her wedding, Jean-Claude became pregnant by Christo. Whoa. Although she married Planchon, Jean-Claude left him immediately after their honeymoon. Christo and Jean-Claude's son, Cyril, was born May 11th, 1960. Jean-Claude's parents were displeased with the relationship, particularly because Christo's refugee status and temporarily estranged themselves from their daughter. Their daughter? I thought it was their son. No, no, no. Christo was... Oh, her parents. Oh, her parents. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So while working in France as a portrait artist, Christo met Jean-Claude de... And yeah, I'm not gonna try it. <laughs> <laughs> and they married in 1959. So her hair is bright red. It's always, always been bright red. Um yeah, yeah. Her hair was dyed red, a color she claimed was selected by her mm. husband. She took responsibility for overseeing work crews and fundraising. She said she became an artist out of love for Christo. Also saying if he had been a dentist, she would have become a dentist. So she just super, super loved him. And I don't like this that. is a little bit of a weird. <laughs> nope. I, I wrote this. and I was like, this is really like anti-feminist mm-hmm. yeah, movement right here. Uh, yeah. Any guy who has control over their girlfriend's hair choices, too. I'm just not a like fan Elvis. of. And you know what? If she doesn't have her own passion, her passion is being a partner to him like there's no shame no, except in that either. I f- as long as her own passions aren't being suppressed i feel like that's what yeah i guess is. the reason it's hard to tell is because it's like 1959 so you're like does she just feel that way or does she just feel that way because that's how everyone was yeah. made to feel in that time period but so the th- the thing i think it would be different if i didn't know that she was able to share in the ideas and even have one of her own like individual works yeah. or when that was more her idea where if she was literally just the fundraiser yeah. it would be different but she's also a huge part of the creative process okay. so it worked out okay it's fine in 1964 the pair pair relocated to new york city where their art was seen as a form of arte povera mm-hmm. i think the e is in there somewhere arte povera an Italian art movement that challenged conventional art elitism through experiments with cool. everyday materials. In 1973, Christo became a U.S. Woo-woo. citizen. 
Good job, bud. So here's some photos of early stuff. There was a wrapped woman in 63, which is just a woman wrapped in, I think it was plastic. Maybe it's fabric, but I'm pretty sure it was plastic. And then dockside packages, which are these oil containers that are covered in cloth. That was made in 61. Um, and then a studio in 61, which is just a bunch of objects wrapped in fabric and is rope. Is that just them on so, the first picture? Yeah. She's a goddamn badass. Look at her leopard tights and her heels. I know. She's, She's so cool. The best. They made a lot of stuff. So here's just the ones I chose to talk about. Okay. Jean-Claude was a firm believer in the aesthetic beauty of works of art. She said, quote, we want to create works of art of joy and beauty, which we will build because we believe it will be beautiful. Mm-hmm. However, that does not mean that Jean-Claude and Christo's artworks were without larger political connotations. Mm-hmm. This is crazy. I still don't know how they do this. So all of the work that they make is funded by themselves. They don't get any grants or anything outside funding or commissions or anything because they want to have complete control over the work. So Christo just makes drawings for like the proposal of the work. So a bunch of different illustrations of the project and he sells those. And that's why he makes millions of dollars to make the real project. What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Right? It's Who crazy. Who gets if millions I made... of dollars from drawings of things that don't exist? Yeah. So it says they selling original drawings of the future works made by Christo. And every project is paid through this, not donations, grants, etc. It is because they don't want to have to compromise with anyone during the process, which gives them tremendous power. They're free to make whatever they want as long as they can afford to do it. Damn. So, Yeah. These drawings are also an important part of the process because it becomes more crystallized along the way. What does that mean? That's what he says. Um, like it's the ideas coming together more and more is like... Oh, like clearer, like crystal clear. Okay. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Wrapped Coast, which was made in 1969. So for people who want to imagine it, imagine a cliffy coastline in australia that is literally just wrapped in fabric it's so cool looking. all the cliffside what the fuck <laughs> um <clears throat> and then go to instagram to actually see the picture Whoa, this is awesome um so it's called wrapped coast one million square feet little bay sydney australia 1968 to 69 Christo and Jean-Claude's monumental work of art created for the coast and cliffs of Little Bay near Sydney, Australia. The artist working with project coordinator John Caldor. So Wrapped Coast was the first in a series by Caldor Public Art Projects. He helped them with many. And Major Ninian Melville, retired Army Corps of Engineers, assembled and directed a team of 15 professional rock climbers and 110 local art and architecture student workers, as well as Australian artists and teachers. Over a period of four weeks, they wrapped about one and a half miles of coast and cliffs up to 85 feet high with one million square feet of light beige erosion control fabric and 35 miles of rope. That's Like, just absorb those numbers. That's insane that's so cool 
The project suffered a temporary setback when three quarters of the way through a storm severely damaged sections of fabric on the wrapped coastline, requiring them to be redraped. Is that the, the artist in the photo? Yeah, the bottom one where it's it all kind of like, looks tattered cool up. that way, but okay. Yeah, but that's not what they wanted. Yeah, no, I get that. So it's like it was basically all wrapped and now it's super tattered and torn so they had to rewrap it the artists and their team completed wrapped coast on october october 28th 1969 and the work remained on view for 10 weeks cool but i don't know so did just people just game walked up and were like well that's yeah so they'd go and see it and then i think even this but all of them will talk about how all the materials once they're done with the project, all the materials get donated to different places that need it. Okay. So they're like all kind of upcycled. Yeah. The next is Valley Curtain, 1970 to 72. So this, these pictures <gasps> are in color and they're so pretty. Holy. It's this mountain valley in Colorado. Grand Junction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Glenwood Springs. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that yeah. gives it different um so it's this like road that goes in between these two mountains and like how would you describe it like this curtain that hangs between the two mountains so you drive under it and it just creates a little wall between the the dip of the mountain yeah it's kind of weird because it doesn't go all the way down obviously it doesn't go onto the road yeah but yeah it's just like a orange parachute looking it's bright kind of looks so like one of those those like long parachutey things but like yeah. draped over between two mountains so in a landscape that's green and blue this bright orange fabric just stands out cool. in a very surreal way <laughs> i bet it looked even different in person because i mean yeah. obviously but in glenwood springs and that whole area the mountains are like really red looking like the dirt. It's kind of like in Utah where everything is really red. When yeah. you're driving on yeah. that road, it's super bright red. But you can't really capture it in photos very easily. So I can imagine that that the color looks even different. Okay, so this is called Valley Curtain 1970 to 72. With the help of 35 construction workers and 64 temporary helpers, art school and college students, the piece Valley Curtain was finally completed in August 72, stretching between Grand Junction and Glenwood Springs in the Grand Hogback Mountain Range in Colorado. The 200,200 square feet of woven nylon fabric orange curtain was secured with 27 ropes and period. <laughs> I was wondering how you're going to play that off. She's just straight up reading her uh, own writing that isn't always perfect. And something. <laughs> and 14,000 square miles of cloth to be hung over four steel cables fastened with iron bars fixed in concrete on each side and 200 tons of concrete. I think that's the rest of it. This is just too much follow through for me. I could never do this. It's way too much work. <laughs> It's a lot. The impressive project took 28 months to complete, and it was removed after only 28 hours due to a gale estimated. Like a gale of wind? Why don't they just say winds? They're trying to be smart. Come on now. Why don't you just say winds? It's your thing. So 28 hours due to high winds estimated in excess of 60 miles per hour. Jesus Christ, 28 months for 28 hours? I would hours? be so angry. Are you kidding me? Like, Fuck you, wind. You know what I would have done? Put little perforations. 
<laughs> yeah, just, right? Just those they, little holes. Like, just go they right do through. that for like fences and stuff, right? Or it's just mm-hmm. like a ginormous yeah. hole punch. Ka-chow! That probably doesn't fit with their aesthetic. Well, you know what? 28 hours is very upsetting. I know. Like no one gets to see that. Did they on purpose leave it one more hour even though the wind was 60 miles an hour? Because they were like, it took 28 months and we left it up for 28 hours. Like, do you think that was intentional? They're like, it's not going to hold. And you're like, one more (laughs) hour. We have to match how many months it's been. (laughs) Or they just took it down after 12 and like, we're just going to say. Oh, that's true. Like, it sounds cooler. (laughs) No, they seem like people that wouldn't lie. They seem like they're all about the numbers. They wouldn't. Yeah. The next one is Oceanfront. This is kind of my least favorite of them all, but I'm not here to judge. Well, you just did. Just to tell you my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) So this was made in 1974. The surface of the water of... Oh, is it the water? I thought it was just a beach. Okay, I was just going to say, this is cool. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) I thought it was just the beach. Could you stand? Um, The surface... The surface of the water of the half moon shaped cove at King's Beach in Newport, Rhode Island, was covered with 150,000 square feet of white woven polypropylene mm. floating fabric for a period of 18 days with the help of non skilled workers. Wow. Fuck what you. An embarrassing <laughs> title. <laughs> I'm so offended and no one even called me that. Non-skilled. They had zero skills, but they were capable of following instructions. God. They covered water with floating plastic. That sounds hard. Doesn't take skill, though. So non-skilled workers, the project was completed in eight hours. They must have had some sort of skill. workers. (laughs) Let's give them more credit than that. Specifically skilled workers. (laughs) The piece stirred controversy for its environmental impact. So this was my first thought. I wrote it down. Um, As someone who is interested in working in land art, my like initial concern is always with like a collaboration with the environment and habitat and either having no effect on the land or actually making the land better in some way. So when I saw this, I was like, I don't know if covering the ocean with plastic or like a cove with. But they took it down. Know, like a. Yeah. After 18 days, it still has to have some kind of impact. You though. think if they took it all off? Well, no, I mean, it's not like they left sure. it there forever, but you're still doing like fish are there and they need to like come up to the surface oh. and then they like hit yep. plastic or if like light's not coming through in the same way that it would or if, you know, I don't know. Okay. I'm not a marine biologist, okay? I'm You're just a saying. You're a non-skilled worker. <laughs> it, I'm a non-skilled worker, and this just raises a few okay. questions. The fish thing, maybe. Um, but I just so feel I like get 18 it. days is not that long. Like, that's not really going to affect anything, is it? Okay. I don't know. What if a lifespan of, like, a little baby shrimp oh, is only buddy. four days, and then it had less time because of it? I guess. I'm just a non-skilled worker. I, I don't, don't know, know much about biology either, but <laughs> I just didn't think 18 days um, was all that long. But if people were upset yeah. in the 60s, I'm assuming it did something to something. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't care about shit in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm just saying yeah. I get it. 
Okay, so Running Fence, 1972 to 76. I can't decide if I'm more interested in the photographer. Did they take these photographs? They okay, worked with I the photographer. I can't decide if I'm more interested who in took the photographer's all of their photos. work or, or if it's theirs. Like, <laughs> it's just, look at this fucking glowing mountain. Oh, geez, it's I so know. pretty. It's beautiful. So down below on the right, this is one of the, the proposal drawings. Do you see? Wait. The black and white is a photograph, right? Yeah, but he draws on top of the photograph. Oh, he drew the thing on the photograph. He drew the running fence. So those are like the proposal drawings that he sells. Okay, that's pretty cool. (laughs) A million dollars? No, but it's pretty cool. Well, I guess I just don't have a thousand dollars, so I don't feel like that is worth a thousand (laughs) dollars. But I don't think people like... <laughs> Me are buying art. <laughs> Not you, but like people <laughs> in a situation. Non skilled workers don't buy <laughs> art. <laughs> non skilled workers are not buying millions of dollars worth of drawings. Okay, I love that drawing. Let's rephrase it. Okay. I love it. I would buy it if I had tons of money. So, yes, I get it. So, the Peace Running Fence extends east to west near Freeway 101 in Sonoma County, where I am. Um, which is north of San Francisco, on the private properties of 59 ranchers following the rolling hills dropping down to the Pacific coast at Bodega Bay. Completed. Yeah, you've been there. I have. Completed in September 1976. It took 42 months of collaborative efforts. It consisted of 2,152,780 square feet of heavy woven white nylon fabric hung from steel cables strung between 2,050 steel poles embedded three feet into the ground with guy wires and 14,000 earth anchors. Damn. Their projects are on such a massive scale. Yeah, no. I can't even understand it. After being suspended for 14 days, it was dismantled and all the materials were given to the ranchers. No, 14 14 days. days. So just a little bit of a description. It is literally just a thin kind of like rectangle white panels. And it's just this running curtain that just zigzags and moves its way like a snake over the hillsides for miles from the freeway across the hills and the pastures and the cliffs and all of that like this one picture on the very bottom left you can just see for miles all the way just running across it looks like it just stops in the road (laughs) yeah there's a road and it it just stops and then continues like an aerial photograph of the landscape and someone just took a white marker and just like zigzagged a pen all the way across it yeah it's so right and then the cool the other cool part is the shadow it's like this big Mm -hmm. long dark shadow on this picture must have been like almost sunset or something yeah wherever it's hitting it's cool and then it goes down the cliffs and right into the ocean that's the best part right there (laughs) it's just like Um, into the ocean yep so uh by the end of the visit Posey, Posy, someone. He's a rancher. Um, <laughs> Posey, Posy, someone. It's someone. I don't know who he is. <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce his name. Posey. Um, 
His parents still weren't completely clear on the concept, but they were sure of one thing. They liked Christo because Christo kept going to all these ranchers and trying to explain the project. And everyone just kept calling him this weird hippie guy because he was just like, I just want to hang a curtain across your land. And they're like, what? (laughs) Whatever, crazy. Why? (laughs) Um, Especially in the 70s, it just feels like... (laughs) No one in the 70s is going to be like, oh, cool, our project, bro. They're just going to yeah. be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Do you have something wrong? I bet you yep. he was just felt bad for him. He's like, this guy has something wrong with his brain. We'll just let him do it. It's fine. He's going to give us all the materials afterwards. But I think he was so passionate and convincing that people, like, they liked him, even if they didn't understand the work. They're just like, yeah, sure. He's a nice guy. Let him just do. It's only 14 days. So is Manson. I mean, he just traps everybody in a curtain and just kills everyone. That's what I keep thinking. Took a really dark turn. He seemed so nice. He just wanted to put a curtain up. No big deal. Hey, he just wanted to put a curtain up. All of a sudden, it ended up in like mass slaughterings. I don't know what happened. This could have gone very badly. Good thing he just genuinely wanted to put a curtain up for no reason. He just wanted to hang a curtain. So, Posey, a ranger, said he was incredibly charismatic. Just like Manson. Just like Manson. But it was more than that. He was genuine. There was a warm human quality to him that you just felt. There was nothing slick or pretentious about him. Ranchers and farmers intuitively sense character in a person. He didn't get the running fence built because he sold anyone around here on the, uh, on the idea. They got behind him because they liked and trusted him. Same with Manson. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I just don't Manson. see why he's not Manson. An art version of Manson. An actually talented um, version of Manson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go but listen to Manson's I feel like songs. They're scary. Christo said, I'm not going to do an accent. He kind of has this like... Oh, you were gearing up for an accent? European accent. Not French because he can't speak French. He can't speak French. Nope. Okay. The work of art is not the fabric and the steel pole and the cable. The work of art is the hills and the oceans and the sky, the gates, the road, the people, the light. This is the work of art. Basically, for many, many months, years, thousands of people, they fantasize where they think how the work will look awful, if they like to stop us, or how the work will look great and beautiful if they like to help us. And the way for many months and years in advance, the people anticipate the work, not only mentally, but they come to public hearings and to all this variety of process of permits. You do not have that things in the work of art. A work of art, you go to a museum, you see it, you don't like it, you don't tell anybody. In architecture and urban planning, you have that. The fence was extended miles and miles excursively in the landscape, borrowing so many different qualities, from the water to the highway, the houses, the hills, the cattle, the subdivision. When we started to work on that project, it was basically to interlock all of these different types of use of the land, from open land to farmers or ranchers, land to the suburbia and small town. And Jean-Claude said, what you call size is probably the number of miles or kilometers. This is not the real size of the running fence. The real dimensions of the running fence are political, social, and economic. And that's a really, really large dimension indeed. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of people that really did not like this. Like there was a lot of 
protests that were happening at like the hearings and stuff and people thought it was going to be super ugly they didn't call this art at all they thought it was really stupid and a lot of other people so i was right about the 70s yeah (laughs) okay Um, (laughs) good uh, a lot of people just didn't get it and they were arguing against this being art and other people thought it was going to be beautiful, like he said in his yeah. quote. I feel like that's a a cool or like that's a, a similar thing that I like about painting murals is you getting a reaction from everyone in a gallery space. Mm hmm. You're generally only getting a reaction from the people who come into the space, which is probably only a specific type of person. And yeah, yeah, public, any public type of art, you're going to get everything and you're going to, you're going to also touch people that probably never were touched by something like that. Um, And you're also going to make some people annoyed. When it's outside, not only do people outside of the, the art world get to see it, but it also changes people's minds of what art can mm-hmm. be. You know, they're using unconventional materials. They're putting it on such a massive scale in a place where no one thinks art can right. be. And they're pushing that limitation in such an extreme way that... Well, and I think, too, it's what she said or what he said. I can't remember which one said it. But the art is... the place and as a person who loved that place or lived in that town or owned that land i would think Mm -hmm. everyone's different but i would think you'd be proud and be like they're putting this thing that i love into the spotlight and making something uh, Mm -hmm. i mean it was already something on its own but because that is next to it it's like drawing your attention to the landscape to that long line to the ocean just like I mean, it plunges into the ocean the way the land does, right? Like the land is just like all of a sudden and now it's ocean. And to just bring attention to that because of this is really cool. I would think they'd be proud. Next is Surrounded Islands 1983. I think these are probably one of the most well-known pieces. Do you recognize this one? No, but that was the one that got me excited when I was scrolling. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, I think most people would recognize these. Could be wrong, though. And down below even more are three examples of the drawings. Ooh, okay. I love those. You see? If I had a lot of money, I'd definitely (laughs) buy them. Installed in Biscayne Bay, surrounded by the city of Miami, North Miami, the village of Miami Shores, and Miami Beach. That's a lot of Miami. So many Miami. (laughs) Surrounded Islands was completed in May 1983. Eleven islands situated in those areas were surrounded by 6.5 million square feet of floating pink woven polypropylene fabric covering the surface of the water and extending out 200 feet from each island in the bay. The fabric was sewn into 79 patterns in order to frame the contours of each island. The luminous pink color perfectly complemented the tropical vegetation of the islands and the color of the sea. So, Olive, do you want to describe these? Yeah, it's... For people listening. I mean, yeah, it's just like these different shaped little teeny tiny islands. 
and they just have vegetation like it's all trees or bushes or whatever green on top looks like froey a little bit like poof poof and then um <laughs> and then just starting straight from the coastline it is like this bright pink uh whatever that is plastic woven plastic stuff and then it goes out into the ocean a certain amount and then it's just floating feet. there yeah 200 feet and then it's just floating there all around so when you look from above it's just the island and then like an outline of the island i guess yeah so like if you're looking at it from like an aerial photograph i would say you have these dark green little blobs in the ocean and it's like if you had a drawing of this you would take a pink marker like just highlight the outside yeah yeah like away and you'd like draw a circle that's the same shape as the island and then you just fill it all in with pink and it's like this little yeah pink blob that surrounds they're just pink blobs yeah with an island in the center jean-claude says well sometimes people look at the images of the surrounded islands and they feel that it is not exactly the same as the other christo projects and they are indeed they are correct because that one is not an idea of christo but it's an idea of jean-claude and it's slightly (laughs) more feminine maybe a little bit too pretty but it's definitely a christo absolutely did he say that she said that. Oh. So this Stop talking one was... down on yourself. It's not too pretty. They're all pretty. <laughs> their works were pretty. What? Just because it's Just pink? Because it's pink. Yeah. I think it needs to be pink because the rest of the ocean and the... Yeah. yeah. That's how it stands out. Pont Neuf. I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how I'm going to say it. Pont Neuf was created in 1985, and it is the oldest bridge in Paris. And it was wrapped in September 1985 with the help of 300 professional workers. Whoa. Apparently they don't have non-skilled workers in <laughs> Paris. Way more skill in Paris. It's just a better city all around. <laughs> it was covered with 450,000 square feet of wo- woven polyamide. Is that how you say Stop it? asking me questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is your thing, um, teacher. Polyamide fabric, <laughs> silky in appearance, and golden sandstone in color without hindering river and car traffic. The fabric was restrained by eight miles of rope and secured by 12.1 tons of steel chains encircling the base of each tower, 3.3 feet underwater. Continuing the tradition of successive metamorphosis by a new structural dimension, the project lasting for 14 days transformed the iconic bridge into a work of art. It took 10 years from 75 to 85 to realize this project. They chose a champagne color fabric, which is close to the sandstone color of the city of Paris from the Pierre et de France. I don't like, I wish wish it were pink. (laughs) So you're not alone. Really? Christo said, and I remember some French critics were very annoyed that the Pont Neuf was so elegant and so sensitive. It should be with some shocking color. In France, I try to do projects with much more sensitive, like the French people. Very subtle, very elegant, because melting with the marvelous circular surrounding of Paris, where in surrounding islands, we like to choose color with very shocking, very linked to that strong sun and that Latin culture, Hispanic culture in southern Florida. That's true. When you said Miami and I saw they were pink, I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, when they made this, I think people were initially upset because it 
could have been very bright and poppy and, you know, kind of like the surrounding islands. And when they made it basically just blend in in a weird way, I I think they were kind of bummed. (laughs) It forms to the thing. I mean, it's not like it just drapes down. It forms to each part of the bridge. Like it has ropes around it so that it's like suctioned. So the fabric is like suctioned. So you can see the structure of the bridge in every part of it, but it's just covered. Yeah, it still holds like its architectural (laughs) form. It looks like when you wrap a present that's like a shape of something. (laughs) Like in cartoons. Like you wrap a golf club or something. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like that. Like it's like someone literally wrapped a bridge and you can see the shape of like the curves and the arches and whatever. Yeah, it would have been so much easier to just have it draped down because I can imagine how how much harder it was to like make it all. Yeah. The next project is Umbrellas from 1984 to 1991. And this took place in two locations in Japan and in California. So Christo said, when we did projects in the hills and the mountains in California and Japan, it's not about the hills and the mountain in California and Japan. It is the hills. It is the mountains. The umbrellas come from a very simple idea. That project is about comparisons to highlight similarities, differences in the way how people use to live in the space, how they manage the space, and all of the levels of color, proportions, aesthetics. 124 million Japanese live on only 8% of the surface of Japan. 92% was unlivable. Huge volcanic mountains, where California is the size of Japan, and they have 30 million people living in all directions in California. And of course, it is basically about the space, because the space is the principal element of the three-dimensional work of art. Now, what the people do in the space, the people build their habitats, Now we cannot build houses because building houses would be a tremendous problem. Building tents, but the tents are too complicated. And once we look closer at the tents, which look nomadic, which look very simple, reminiscent to a house, like houses without walls, it is to do the umbrellas. Basically, the umbrellas create these shelters that you can go in and out freely, but the upper part of the structure is very much like a roof of the house. So that was how they got to the umbrella idea. Okay. It was like the idea of like people way. living on all the spaces, but so it's yeah. like representing a livable space. Yeah. In Japan, they had 1,340 blue umbrellas for the wet in Ibaraki. And in California, they had 1,760 yellow umbrellas, yellow for sun, in what's it called? Tehan. Tehan Ranch in SoCal, like the grapevine area. In September 91, the umbrellas were brought to their places by 2,000 workers in California. Some of the bases were transported to the site by helicopter. Mm -hmm. The final cost of the project totaled 26 U.S. million, and it was completed. It was completely financed by the artists themselves through the sale of. The preparatory. I do drawings. not understand this. I'm still the, upset. <laughs> Can't let it go. Twenty six million. Twenty six million. I would just retire. Why build umbrellas? Just retire. <laughs> you you made the artists do not take any form of sponsorship. Uh, you made the dream happen. You made drawings. People bought them, and then you had twenty six million dollars. 
then it's over. <sighs> okay. Uh, each one measuring six meters in height and 8.66 meters in diameter. On October 27th, they started the removal of this project and restored the land to earlier condition. The umbrellas were taken apart and most of the elements were recycled. The umbrellas became a huge tourist attraction, finding use as everything from picnic spots to wedding altars. <gasps> I want to see a wedding note. photo of this. Do you think it's right? online somewhere? It's so pretty. Oh, that'd be so cool. Probably. Okay. On the 26th of October, 91, one of the umbrellas in California was toppled by high winds, killing one <gasps> woman and injuring several others. Oh, they were trying to have a yep. wedding. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> that's not funny it's really sad the exhibit was ordered closed immediately a second death occurred during the removal Whoa. of the umbrellas how don't make umbrella projects people i just picture someone holding on to the umbrella and the wind comes up and then they flew and then they <laughs> died maybe would you let go if you were like up super high would you let go and think i'm gonna i would let go like a foot okay, off the but ground what if you're too far already would you let go or no, would you just stay you just and hold on until it, it comes down safely <laughs> or let it go up really high hang on and then you're definitely gonna well die. that's that's the risk it's like when the ant gets blown up in harry potter and the mm -hmm. uncle's hanging on there's that certain point that you hold on and then if you know it's just going up and up and up you gotta Break take that bones. risk before you get up yeah, too high screen. If you're up high, but you know you know you're only gonna get higher, I think you risk it. But if you're already too high and you're just waiting out the storm until the winds die down, then you just yeah. Keep I guess an umbrella on. is not like a balloon; it's not just gonna keep going. Everything that goes up <laughs> must come down. A scientist said that once. Unless you're on a rocket that that's goes never into out of the gravity, <laughs> the pull of gravity. Yeah, then you just burn um. up in space. So, the next one, Wrapped Reichstag, 1995. <laughs> we were alive. How old were you in 95? We were seven? Yep. Oh, this is the funniest sentence. Okay, hold on. I'll get there. So, after a struggle spanning the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the Reichstag was finally wrapped. I think I'm saying this right. If I'm wrong. Sorry, Reichstag. <laughs> Send it to our complaint department, which is Danny. <laughs> the Reichstag was finally wrapped in June 1995. I feel like I should know this. It's a really important years? building, but oh, it is cool. what it Time is. To plan something. With the help of 90 professional they are climbers so specific and 120 people are professional or not skilled. <laughs> yep. Just say workers. You don't have to label them. No, it's important. 90 professional okay. climbers and 120 installation workers, the building was wrapped with 1,076,390 square feet of thick woven polypropylene fabric with an aluminum surface and 9.7 miles of blue polypropylene rope. The facades, the towers, and the roof were covered by 70 tailor-made fabric panels. All materials were subsequently recycled. Reflecting the classical tradition of using fabric in the history of art, the fragility of the materials translated the unique quality of the impermanence. The imposing building was wrapped for 14 God. days 
and the richness of the silvery fabric highlighting its features and proportions. So because it was, what did it say? That is crazy. Aluminum surface. If you look, it's not really a good view, but because of the aluminum surface, it glowed during the right time of day. You can tell it's just Imagine super walking bright. Imagine walking that, you get you know? a sunburn. That's nuts. It looks so cool. This <laughs> this is a, a drinking game for everyone. <laughs> Ready? Every time I say Bundestag, okay. you take a shot. I'm already drunk. <laughs> this was the funniest sentence to listen to. <laughs> so this is by Christo. He said, I was presenting the Reichstag project to the president of the Bundestag, the German federal parliament, Anne-Marie Ranger, member of the Social Democratic Party. Unfortunately, the Social Democrats lost the election and we lost the chance to wrap the Reichstag. A few weeks later, there was a new president of the Bundestag, Dr. Kirstens. And then in 1977, I'm there explaining the project, Dr. Kirstens visiting the model and the drawings and, the, and contemplating. After five, six months of contemplating, Dr. Kirstens says no. Sure. Later, there was a new president of the Bundestag, Mr. Barzell, and we started to negotiate with Mr. Bar Barzell. And the thing was going very well, but Barzell was involved with some scandal and he resigned. Oh and then there was a new president of the Jesus. Bundestag called Mr. <laughs> Mr. Stuklin. And we started negotiating with Mr. Stuklin. And a few months later, Mr. Stuklin says no. And then there was a new president. Oh and after that of the Bundestag called Mr. Yanger, who also started to be very interested. And he demonstrated a lot of interest in the project. And finally, Mr. Yeninger in 1987 says what? no finally in the late 90s there was a new president of the bundestag <laughs> president dr rita susmuth who personally expressed that she's for the project and she invites us to come to bone fuck yeah she's the coolest one <laughs> they spent a total of 180 days lobbying in bone when the berlin wall came down in 1989 they were finally able to go to east berlin and take a photo on that side because they were never permitted to do that before isn't yeah, that crazy that is crazy so Krista said and of course it's very exciting to do the wrapping of the reichstag in the particular moment of transformation when you have this motion of movement even doing a wrap project the fabric dynamically is moving with the wind we translate this nomadic quality that the project the idea the building and all the thinking goes somewhere that nobody knows where it's going this is so much work <laughs> so much work it looks yeah. so cool though can you like it looks photoshopped three decades they should it have does. just photoshopped it and call, <laughs> call it a day. So this is a fun side one that they did. Aww. Um, okay. It's called Wrapped Snoopy House in 2003. In 1978, Charles M. Schultz drew an episode of his comic strip Peanuts in which Snoopy's doghouse is wrapped in fabric mm -hmm. by Christo. And the I have the comic strip That's here. Cool. The first panel says it's Snoopy reading like a book says, I remember when Christo hung the Valley Curtain in Colorado. I loved the running fence in California and the wrapped walkways in Kansas City. We didn't talk about the Kansas oh. City one. Um, uh, and then Snoopy's walking. He goes, I wonder what he'll do next. And he gets his doghouse and it's all wrapped. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. Was and this like a big so, thing? Like, 
Did your grandpa yeah. know about it because so, he was an artist or did like most people know about these installations? Both. So my grandpa definitely paid attention to all the right. artists. He studied Philip Guston and all these people that actually had influencing his comic strip in a lot yeah. of ways. But because especially when this was happening in our area or in areas that it was happening, but they were huge projects. In uh, in response, Christo constructed a wrapped dog house and presented it to the Charles M. Schultz Museum in 2003. So it Aww. exists in the museum. Yeah. I love it. They're like talking to each other through their art. That's so yeah. cute. Isn't it? That's cool. Um, So <laughs> it's like a life-size Snoopy dog house that's wrapped in fabric and rope. Wait, now I want to look up the Kansas City. You don't have to put this in, but I really am okay. curious. It's just like fabric on Walkers. a pathway on the ground. It's cool. And they said it's one of their most underrated projects. They really liked it. But visually, it's not as breathtaking. The Yellow Brick Road? Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. But I see I see what you mean. It's not as breathtaking. Yeah. Okay. So in 2005, this is probably one of their one of their most well-known pieces too um it's called the gates mm-hmm. conceived in the late 1970s the installation the gates in central park was finally completed in february 2005 it's comprised of 7,503 fabric panels along 23 miles that were 16 feet tall and varied in width from 5 feet 6 inches to 18 feet, according to the 25 different widths of walkways in the park. The gate created out of saffron-colored vinyl could be seen from far away through the leafless branches of the trees, because it's February. The work lasted for 16 days. Ugh! It's just it not enough moved. time for 30 years of cycled. conceiving. No. The cost of the project was US twenty one million. Stop. Which was Stop with the cost. Entire, <laughs> entirely by Christo and John Claude's selling studies, drawings, collages, and work from the nineteen fifties and sixties. Don't like it. Okay, wait, can we describe <laughs> it? You kinda described it, but they're just these bright I mean saffron's a good way to describe the color. But some of the pictures are a little more orangey, depending. Yeah. But it's like yeah, yeah that marigold or like Mm-hmm. more towards the side of orange than yellow. Um, and it's just like an archway made of wood or something. Not an but arch, like, I guess, but it's a rectangular. Yeah, it's yeah, rectangular. It's like these... The size of whatever pathway is there. And then it's up super far. What would you say, 16 feet? And then there's just a curtain. 16 feet tall. Yeah. And then there's just a curtain hanging down. Like halfway? A little yeah, bit like halfway. halfway. So anybody could walk underneath it. But... And then it's just like a bunch of them, the whole walkway. And so you're just yeah. like walking under. So you're walking under. through these rectangle archways with the yeah. curtains. And they just, they're just so it's almost like a mirror effect when you have the double mirrors and they just kind of go on forever. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that. Ooh, the drawing of them is so I cool. know. They did not accept any sponsor sponsorship, nor did the city of New York have to provide any money for the project. Christo and Jean-Claude donated all the money raised from the sale of souvenirs such as postcards, t-shirts, and posters to Nurture New York's Nature, Inc. While the engineering, manufacturing, and setup took over a year, about 750 paid employees erected the project in five days and then deployed the fabric of all the gates in half an hour. Whoa. It's so pretty because it's against the snow and the just Mm -hmm. dark trees. 
This one yeah. looks photoshopped too. It looks like a black and white photograph <laughs> of snowy trees. And then, and then just- uh, the color, you know, where they like keep the color yep. in on those one yeah. parts, like in like MySpace days. Yep. Like, their eyes were still green. You can just like select, like select <laughs> orange. Yeah. It's like pop. That's exactly. It's so cool yeah. looking. It's so cool. Jean-Claude's death in New York City. Kind of explain what happened. Um, she uh, died on November 18th, 2009 at the age of 74 from complications due to a brain aneurysm. Her body was donated to science, one of her wishes. When she died, she and Krista were at work on Over the River and the Mastaba, a stack of 410,000 oil barrels configured as a Mastaba, a trapezoid prism in the United Arab Emirates. Wow. Is that real? See, this is why it's like that with all the colors. Intended to be built at Al Garbia, 100 miles from Abu Dhabi. If released, it will be the only lasting large-scale Jean-Claude <gasps> it's Crystal so artwork. so pretty, or it's going to be so pretty. The next one is called Big Air Package 2013. Crystal filled the gasometer Oberhausen. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it either. Mm-hmm. But uh, from March 16th until December 30th with the installation Big Air Package. So the gasometer Oberhausen, it was... Whoa, the inside. It's in, yeah, it's in Germany and it's a former gas holder in Oberhausen. Oberhausen? I don't know. And it's been converted into an exhibition space. So the outside, I'm going to put it here for you to see. I could just live in there. It's so pretty. Oh, okay. So that's the outside. So there's an installation space in there. So it looks like a big uh, grain holder or whatever it looks like that without the cone-shaped top just like a big cylinder on the outside it looks just very industrial yeah you wouldn't think yeah it's a gallery big air package was a second work of art in the gasometer the big air package project for gasometer over in germany was conceived by christo in 2010 for the first time without his wife jean-claude the sculpture was set up in the interior of the industrial monument and was made of 20,350 square meters of translucent fabric and 4,500 meters of rope. In the inflated state, the envelope with a weight of 5.3 tons reached a height of more than 90 meters, a diameter of 50 meters, and a volume of one. 177,000 cubic meters. The monumental work of art was... What? In America, which would be... Oh, yep. (laughs) Something. (laughs) The the monumental work of art was temporarily the largest self-supporting sculpture in the world. In the accessible interior of Big Art Package, the artist generated a unique experience of space, proportions, and light. So... It blew up into basically this huge white hot air balloon mm-hmm. looking thing. That's what I was going to describe. And it. then you could just hang out in it. Oh, it's so pretty on the inside. Yeah, it just looks like it's glowing from the top because that's where the lights are. And then it's just. And it looks like these different opacities of translucent white. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so organic, however, it was sewn. Just like weird thicknesses of. 
I don't even know how to describe that. I'm so bad at describing things with words. (laughs) It's really hard. But there's a lot of people like standing up and looking at it. And then another photo where everyone's just laying down and enjoying it. It's so cool. So the next one has become maybe the most famous one by now. Do you remember? Did you recognize this one? This is the one that I was like, oh, these people. Although Jean-Claude wasn't there. Nope. So this is the Floating Piers from 2016. After Jean-Claude died in 2009, Christo continued working. And in 2016, the artist created the most ambitious project ever. Conceived by the couple, but executed by Christo alone, Floating Piers was a monumental installation in Italy that consisted of a runway that floats on water, allowing people to walk freely across it, completely transforming the landscape of Lake Iseo. It's in Milan. Lake Iseo. Iseo. If I was pronouncing it in Spanish, it'd be like Iseo. 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 Uh, Located near Milan, it consisted of 100,000 square meters of shimmering yellow fabric carried by a modular floating dock system of 220,000 high-density polyethylene cubes. They pulled the fabric over it the day before the opening. Mm. The fabric changes colors depending on the weather and time of day, a detail created by Christo, right? Wait, so where is it different colors? Oh, like just orangey or yellow. I think it just changes like from yellow to yeah. Installed for 16 days, the walkway transformed... 16 days why is it always like no amount of time (laughs) (laughs) and so for 16 days the walkway formed by the artwork was three kilometers long 16 meters wide and approximately 35 centimeters high with sloping sides it was so popular for the small area the local bars ran out of drinks on day one (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> like we got 15 more days guys let's get some alcohol in here I know. <laughs> people love to drink after they walk on a floating pier it's italy everyone yeah. to drink <laughs> at all times of day <laughs> it's not considered alcoholism the installation cost 16 million euro and like always financed it uh, himself access was free to the public but included long lines because only eleven thousand people could be on the floating walkway only? at the same time <laughs> what Christo said, Jean-Claude is with me all the time. For me, Jean-Claude never passed. Of course, she was an incredible intellect, enormous critical person. I miss her all the time. And when we have a problem, I always say, what Jean-Claude would say now? Mm, I'm crying. (laughs) Not that that's difficult, but... Okay, describe this for people who can't see it. It is... So there's a big island. I mean, relatively... And then there's like a teeny tiny little three-person island or whatever. (laughs) Could fit like a house In the middle of this like huge lake. Yeah. And so then there's two walkways like in a triangle shape almost. Mm -hmm. Like a right angle triangle. And then it meets up on the big island connecting to one walkway that goes to the teeny tiny little one house island. And then the one house island is surrounded also, kind of like the, the island. Surrounded The surrounded islands. islands. <laughs> but in instead of an organic shape, it's a rectangle yep. shape. And it's all like that same saffron-y color, I would say. 
Maybe mm-hmm. a little more on the yellow side. And it's all like super straight lines and like mm-hmm. very precise corners. Yeah. And then there's this other picture where people are walking on it. And dude, the water, when they say 36 centimeters, they fucking mean it because the water is just like right there. Like if there's just like a little ripple in the water, it's like up. Mm-hmm. I bet you it was slippery. <laughs> like gotta be up on the thing at all times doesn't it feel weird though because well i guess they've done walkways before but it seems like the other walkways were already created they were just like highlighting them whereas these Mm -hmm. are like creating it's like telling people where to go you can go to this island you can go this way or this way and then you can go back to the mainland it's like guiding people to walk a certain way (laughs) do people ever go to this island otherwise just like one house on there. I don't know. I'm sure like I'm sure you have to take a little boat or something. Yeah. That's really cool. Future works that's happening that's been happening for a long time is called Over the River. Christo and Jean-Claude announced plans for a future project called Over the Rib- Over the River to be constructed on the Arkansas River between Salida, Colorado, the Salida, Colorado, and Canyon City on the eastern slope of the Rocky Mountains. Plans for the project call for horizontally suspended 6.7 miles of reflected translucent mm. fabric panels high above the water on steel cables anchored into the river's banks. The project plans calls for its installation for two weeks during the summer of 2015 at the earliest and for the river to remain open to recreation during the installation recreation among area residents has been intense with supporters hoping for a tourism boost and opponents fearing that the project would ruin the visual appeal of the landscape and inflict damage on the river ecosystem one local rafting guide compared the project to hanging pornography in a church all right calm down don't think that's the same thing that's really upsetting (laughs) fuck you and if you want to hang porn in a church Go ahead and <laughs> yeah. Also, church. what's so wrong with porn? So honestly, churches stop being so against porn <laughs> and sex in general. Stop just punishing us for being sexual beings. The Bureau of Land Management released a record of decision approving the project on November seventh, two thousand eleven. The work on the project cannot begin, however, until the Bureau of Land Management issues a notice to proceed. A lawsuit against the Colorado Division of Parks and Wildlife was filed on July 22, 2011 by Rags Over the Arkansas River, Roar, a local group opposed to the project. The lawsuit is still awaiting a court date. That's so mean. (laughs) Calling his work Rags. They're not Rags. Um, Christo and Jean-Claude's inspiration for Over the River came in 1985 as they were wrapping the Pont Neuf and a fabric panel was being elevated over the Seine. I think that's the river. The artist began a three-year search for appropriate locations in 1992, considering some 89 river locations. They chose the Arkansas River because its banks were high enough that the recreational rafters could enjoy the river at the same time. Christo and Jean-Claude have already spent more than $6 million on environmental studies, design engineering, and wind tunnel testing of fabrics. As with past projects, Over the River would be financed entirely by Christo and Jean-Claude. Through the sales of Christo's preparatory drawings, collages, scale models, and early works of the 50s and 60s. 
On July 6, 2010, the U.S. Bureau of Land Management released its four-volume oh draft environmental impact statement, which reported many potential serious types of adverse impact, but also many proposed mitigation hmm. options. In July 2017, after the election of President Trump, Christo canceled the controversial project in protest of the new administration. Good, because Trump and all of his supporters are the people who hate this project. <laughs> yep. So I think it's just kind of on the back burner until yeah. he feels like he can make it happen. But it's basically these cables that go across the river and then these translucent fabric that goes over. between each mm-hmm. cable. So it's it from above it looks just like a fabric river and then from underneath you can still see the clouds and sky above so when you're kayaking you can still see the sky but you're also under the fabric That's cool. river. Uh just to cite some of my works I got most of my information from Christo and Jean-Claude's website a Christo and Jean-Claude documentary the NYU AD Institute talk wide walls and of course mm. wikipedia for all the drama aspects so what do you think about jean claude and christo i think they're badasses and i really like them and i think they have an enormous work ethic and i wish i knew how to make money like they made money <laughs> it's so cool <laughs> <laughs> and, but those works are Just so make... beautiful and i'm really sad that none of them still exist I know. I've never seen one in person other than the Snoopy Dog House. If the Salidas one came into being, I would totally... I've never gone river rafting, but I would totally do my first river rafting thing underneath it. That would be insane. Yeah. I think it's really cool that they make work together. I always wonder, too, what it would be like to be with another artist. Like, romantically or just as a collaborative team? Romantically. Like, I think that'd be a weird relationship because you're also working with them... I mean, some artists don't necessarily work together, and that's a whole different thing. But to be artists, both artists, and then on top of that, to be artists that work together as a team would be crazy. They each had their part. Like, they came up with ideas together. She always did the financial fundraising side of it. He exclusively did the The drawings. So they each kind of had their part to play in it. And I think... That's how it works out perfectly. You have a shared vision and you can each contribute to it in your way. So it's not competitive. Like if they were each Mm -hmm. doing drawings and then like some sold better than others. And like that's where I think it could get difficult. Yeah, you have to have different skills. Otherwise, you're both trying to be the leader or both trying to be the manager or whatever. If one person does the Mm -hmm. books and the other person does. And it was the 60s and she knew her place. Exactly. Oh, you women, remember your place in the world. We lose all 10 followers. (laughs) They're all women, for sure. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, no, they're really cool, though. I love it. Mm -hmm. They did more than that, right? I think I'm going to look them up and look at all the other stuff they made. Yeah, they did way more. Because that's cool. Um, Love you guys. Love you. Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye.